0: As of recording this podcast series, we have been in quarantine or some form of lockdown for nearly 10 months. Over 430,000 people have died in the U.S. alone and nearly 26 million cases across the United States. Tens of thousands of school districts are closed. Millions of students are in online learning. Millions more are participating in a hybrid model. And all are suffering under the tremendous burdens of living and operating via Zoom devoid of family and friend interactions. This is episode one of Pandemic Pass. Where are we now? This episode seeks to determine our baseline. Where are we as an education system? With our first episode of Pandemic Pass, we want to take a look at where we are as a public education system, the 30,000-foot view. And we're going to do that by having a discussion with someone who is perfect for talking about Uh, the 30,000-foot view of an education system. It's with Des Moines, Iowa Public School Superintendent, Dr. Thomas Ahart. Ahart has been at the helm of DMPS since 2012 and has provided exceptional leadership throughout the COVID-19 crisis and subsequent school closures in spite of the many political challenges that have come across his desk. Dr. Ahart was also featured in a Washington Post article this past fall for how he is navigating his school system in a state governed by a close ally of the now former President Trump. In spite of Dr. Ahart's push to close schools, his decision was summarily overruled on the first day of distance learning for Des Moines students. You can imagine how disruptive that would be, considering you've planned for so long, and all of a sudden you're told to uh, force students to go back. That very day, an Iowa judge ruled that they must open schools for in person instruction. Despite the fact that coronavirus cases in Des Moines were skyrocketing, and the fact that over a third of Des Moines school staff have pre existing conditions, and that cases were exceeding expert baselines for when it is actually safe to return to classrooms. I really hope you enjoy this interview with Dr. Ahart. I think in times of crisis, what I hope you get out of this interview is the fact of how important school leadership is Um, when you are going through post-secondary education and learning through your teacher programs you often hear the importance of or the refrain that leadership is super important or um, that it's so important to have a a strong and, and, and learned school leader and I feel like A lot of teachers, including myself, I would include myself in that camp for the first few years of my career, felt that the leadership of a school or a school system was not important. And when you look at an example like Dr. Ahart's leadership throughout this crisis, it proves and shows not only how important the superintendency is, but how important it is for the superintendent to build the leadership capacity of those around him or her as they are uh, navigating these crises i hope you enjoy this first episode of pandemic pass i think dr ahart is a tremendous person a tremendous school leader and it was really great talking to him and uh, i was so glad to have the time to speak with him in his busy day Um, We talked about the 30,000-foot view of of where the current state of public education is. Um, We talked about his reaction to the ruling in the feature on the Washington Post and what about the views and decisions that were made. And we talked about what kind of lessons he hopes to impart upon other school districts and district leaders uh, about his experience to make uh, his school system stronger and more resilient in the future. I hope you enjoy this first episode, and... uh, Again, please leave us feedback and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Dr. Ahart, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Pandemic Pass, uh, as you know, is about assessing where we are in our education systems across the country uh, and figuring out how we most effectively emerge from this pandemic stronger and more innovative than before. So as superintendent, you see this crisis from the 30,000 foot view, but also from, you know, interacting in your local community and on the ground, what's your take on the current state of public education and where we
1: are right now? Well, broadly speaking, um, I think that, that right in the, at this, at this very moment, um, I think there's a number of, uh, a description, I I think in a number of ways. One, one is that um, for anyone paying attention, I think it's become um, very evident just how much our communities rely on our, on our public schools. So I think that's uh, hopefully, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that that will be a a broad takeaway from, from our non-educational community um, because certainly, um, certainly it, it, as it as it relates to the economy um there's been an awful lot of pressure put on schools to uh to to continue to function as much as close to normal as possible to enable a whole bunch of other things in the community to happen um and then it's i think it's been much more visible just what a key component our public schools are in connecting the most disadvantaged in our communities to to Resources not directly tied to school—that's um, something that we do, I think, exceedingly well all the time. But it's it's rather invisible work right. um, most of the time. That's appreciated by those who who need it, and a, a lot of other folks um, just aren't aware that it's happening. So um, I'm hopeful that 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 will be one positive coming out yeah. of uh, of the. The pandemic. I think it's uh, the, from another, you know, perspective. Though, um, in our state, and and um, it's not unique to our state, um, school funding has been a real challenge um, over, uh, particularly over the last decade. Um, we've just seen very consistent record low state funding in Iowa, um, while at the same time. Um, in Des Moines, and, and as well as many other places across the country, the percentage of students that we're serving who qualify for free and reduced price lunch, and the the, the percentage of students that are coming from a a, a genuinely trauma um, trauma based um, yeah. situation, and the percentage of kids who don't speak English as their as their um, as their primary language all of those challenges have continued to grow while at the same time funding has been headed in another direction and so um, school districts particularly urban districts have really been stretched very very thin Um, and and, you know there's that this interesting nexus here during the pandemic where um, it becomes more evident I think to more people just how many behind the scenes not directly educational um, functions that we're really required to do so that we can can um, do job one which is you know providing educational opportunities for for young people so um, I would say right now the the state of education and I and I had a a, a zoom meeting um, earlier today with a, a number of superintendents from around the country um, urban superintendents and we're all in some some way shape or form in the same boat I would say that the state of education is very stressed yeah we're we're strained our teachers are working harder than they've ever worked um, doing work that's different than it's ever been in the past and and that's really true for just about everybody in the organization and it's been going on too long with too much uncertainty and it's just hard to keep standing tall when the sand is shifting, you know, underneath you, it requires a lot more energy just to do, just to do the the basics.
0: Yeah. I think uh, you make a super good point about just the fact that we take for granted some of the institutions that we rely on to be there all the time. And now that schools are largely closed across the country where, you know, parents and communities are struggling to fill that void. And, you know, I, I, I hope that we come out of this in a way more valuing, um, what our public education systems are, are here to do. Um, so uh, it, you made national news. Uh, you know, sometimes people say, we don't want to get in the news at all, but you made yeah. national news for bucking the governor of your state's expectation that you all return to in-person learning. Uh, mm-hmm. And I just want to, uh, we read the Washington Post around here pretty frequently, but it was reported that on the first day of virtual classes in Des Moines this year, an Iowa judge ruled that the school system must abide by a state mandate and open schools for face-to-face instruction, even as coronavirus cases in the city and across the state surge far beyond what experts say is uh, safe. What was your reaction to this ruling, and, and how have you and your school system adapted to meet this challenge? To your views or and your decisions?
1: Yeah, that that, that continues to be a challenge for us. Um, we we were really um, in the front of the line and in being proactive in response to COVID-19 back in March and um, and uh, you know after you know by the end of March beginning of April we were really trying to think forward because it it was becoming more and more apparent that that um, at least the remainder of the FY19 school year was was uh, going to in large part be uh, a loss and so we at we had done. Uh, we, we, my team and I, did a lot of research. Um, consulted with some of the best um, public health and uh, infectious disease experts in the in the country. Um, we're very fortunate just uh, to, you know, reach out to some folks that that uh, we learned were leaders and and they were generous with their with their time and their expertise. Yeah. And we came up with a plan um, for the fall that met all of the at the time, all of the, the, uh, requirements of the state and we're, we're large for our state. So we have to, we have to move early to get everything done, um, in a timely manner. And so we started, uh, we complied with everything the state, um, had required up to that point. Um, at the end of June, we announced our return to learn plan right, and, um, started registering students. And then, uh, about 9,000 students in the, the state said that, all students who who don't select fully virtual need to receive half of their instruction in person every two weeks. Wow, that's quite a change. Yeah, uh, quite a change. Now, our, our plan at the time um, was just about there for elementary and middle, so we could make some tweaks to that um, not not ones we are comfortable with, but ones that that could actually get us to that fifty percent. But at high school, it was it was literally a choice between following the governor's mandate or abandoning um, any, any modicum of, of um, mitigation, wow. uh, which the judge actually, you know, recognized in, in his decision. Um, but we were, you know, we were, we were caught between a rock and a hard place as, sure. as the summer progressed. Uh, and we, we wrestled with this challenge conditions, as you stated, continued to get worse. And, My recommendation was that we start the year fully virtual, and um, the board, our our school board supported that, so we we made that decision and and at the same time filed for that injunction, which Ironically, um, was decided on the first day of school. Um, <laughs> great timing! Great timing! Great, yeah, it was fantastic timing. <laughs> and so we were, you know, we we were just in a what seemed to be a completely lose lose situation. You know, we could we could comply. We didn't have any desire to be out of compliance with the state. We don't have a, a record of doing that. But but you can't, uh, you know. What I've told my board is I, I can't unknow what I know. And uh, we've looked at our buildings and our staff. And, and as we we were talking about previously, the very, very small um, amount of flexibility we have because finances are just so tight. Um, And, and by the way, what CARES Act dollars we received from, from the federal government, we had to expend all of those um, to close out the previous year. Right, right. So we were, we were operating in a, in a worse than net neutral um, budget, um, because we, you know, like many other districts around the, the country, we lost enrollment, especially at pre-K and, and kindergarten. Um, so we were in a really tight spot, um, you know, ultimately, pressure began to mount um especially when when uh when the governor then said that if you were in fully virtual students couldn't participate in extracurricular activities so then there there started to be some pressure from some from from a number of families who wanted us to be all virtual but also wanted their their children to be able to participate sure you know in extracurricular so the political pressure really mounted and and finally um being uncomfortable with the metrics that our state had put out that, that would um, qualify us to apply for a waiver yeah. um, to be virtual for two weeks. Um, our board created its own set of metrics um, and we eventually returned back to school, but we were only in in person classes at the high school for a week right. um, before conditions had just gotten. So, you know, they just, they just continued to get worse. Yep. So yeah, um, Largely because of of not very much testing happening over the Thanksgiving weekend, we've seen we've seen our case rates and our positivity rate go down slightly. But but every prediction is that those are going to climb back up um, once you know once everybody's sort of back into the regular routine and yeah, um, testing again, and then it's probably going to go higher than it had before because of the what we anticipate being a bump from um, Thanksgiving get-togethers. So. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, um, you know, we continue to have this tension because my board right now and I are talking about, you know, we we've applied for two waivers now, two successive waivers and received those. But, um, what's going to happen if, you know, the positivity rate dips below 15%, (laughs) um, will the state give us another one? I, you know. That's the the question. And so that's one of the, that's actually one of the most frustrating things is not being able to lay out, you know, any certainty for our staff and for our families more right. than two weeks at a time. And that whiplash effect of, you know, being all virtual and then coming back into some form of in-person and right. any momentum that our teachers have generated and any kind of a groove that they get going with their classes gets, you know, gets thrown off track and uh, yeah. we lose even more, um, more valuable instructional time
0: and and in that that decision that you made um and your board made about going back all virtual i mean it was an inherently a a risky political decision for you um what kind of lessons do you hope that other district leaders could take from your experience
1: well i (coughs) excuse me i think that um You know the 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 safe bet is always to just do as you're told, <laughs> um, and uh, you know these these are um, extraordinary circumstances, and certainly they're 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 I would say doubly uh, extraordinary because not only is this you know the the CD or the the World Health Organization calls this um, not the worst pandemic um in a generation they're calling it the worst pandemic in 10 generations and, wow. and we're we're trying to navigate this still um little understood disease in what might be the most polarized political environment that that this country has ever endured and that that um the the level of polarization. Uh, um, very individual locale to individual locale, but what we're seeing, um, what I believe we're seeing at the local level in terms of this this tension between how, you know, with education in the pandemic, whether, you know, whether to just forge on, you know, and try to write it out and keep things as normal as possible or to really have safety as the top priority, that, that tension has just been, you know, Magnified by the the already existing polarization, and um, right. I'm hearing things come out of people's mouths that just really blow me away. You know, people yeah. that I've I've known for for a number of years, and it, it it just seems that if you land on one side of the fence, you're required to believe, you know, this whole catalog of of <laughs> ideas, and if you're on the other side of the fence, you're you're required to right. to um, believe this whole other catalog of ideas, and there just seems to be very little room for having civil, productive, science-based conversations about how to right. forge ahead. And the, there's certainly no no one-size-fits-all, especially when you're navigating a, an urban school system sure. in these kind of conditions. And so that's that's probably been the most frustrating and um, elucidating um, thing that I've pulled away. You can't um, you also you know everybody should always be you know thinking for themselves of course and you know and hoping and and for the most part trusting that your state leadership and uh and and federal leadership have everyone's best interests at heart but mm-hmm. ultimately the local leader has a, a unique set of circumstances and and really need to i think assess the local situation in a, in as informed a way as possible and um come to their best conclusions, um, there. And then, and then it's a matter of deciding, um, I guess it's a, a lot of, in a lot of ways, deciding which hill you want to die on. <laughs> this is one that I thought was, was worthy. Yeah, for sure. Um, my, my, my last
0: question has to do with your vision, uh, you know, perhaps a more positive and optimistic question is how is, how do we as an education system emerge from this better stronger more responsive more innovative and as a
1: superintendent what, what does this look like and sound like to you you know th- that's a great question we we in Des Moines we we created a virtual high school a couple of years ago sure. and, and the expertise that that we we built in in opening that school um, which was the only school in the state that didn't close down last spring by the wow. way Um we had some expertise to draw on in in trying to prep the rest of our staff to operate in a in a virtual environment, but what 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 I think I'm seeing, and I, and I think our teachers would echo this, um, we have some teachers who I think because they were forced into a different uh, a different modality, mm-hmm. um, have found some you know some techniques and some tools that have always been available but weren't viewed as necessary and they're seeing that some students really connect better um yeah yeah, for sure through a device so you know what i'm hopeful for and this is what we're we're trying to actively capture is what you know in in despite all of these challenges and frustrations what is it that's really working and how do we harvest that and and integrate that into what we hope will will feel um, more like normal, you know, in the next year and a half or two years, and then, but 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 from a the a bigger picture level, um, you know, one of the, the the challenges with innovation and education are some, in my view, antiquated concepts um, that are really ingrained in policy, like the Carnegie Unit, you yeah. know. And, you know, we've had to be flexible. Um, our teachers have just been really phenomenal. Um, they've been creative. They've been yeah. nimble. And um, and and students, you know, have responded um, some way better than we expected and some not as well as we would have anticipated, you know. Yeah, given- I have, I have I, you know,
0: students who are taking super rigorous courses and pathways who are struggling. And then we have other students who, you know, typically are for lack of a better term right now, but in the shadows and they don't want to be, you know, they don't want to, they don't make a lot of noise, but
1: um, they're doing great. Yeah. So I think uh, I'm hopeful that, that from a policy perspective that, you know, that education leaders across the country and policymakers across the country, um, because of what we're seeing through, through the pandemic, um can maybe loosen up a little bit and take a broader view of what 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 do we really want from our education system and are the policies that we have in place right now encouraging that or or really providing more hurdles than are necessary um you know we have uh, the, one of our biggest challenges right now is at the high school level is with our career tech courses, you know, and we have students taking um, some classes for concurrent enrollment. And we actually had an exception for them initially when we were in all virtual, because they need a certain amount of lab time. And we're certainly seeing that, that, uh, that that's really necessary and that they really, they really thrive in that. But There's some other, other places where um, we probably should be doing things differently even when we can get back to normal. So I think there's some real opportunity here, but I don't think we'll really realize the 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 real advantages that that we could unless we're willing to to really take some hard look at at current policy and reforming that in a manner that allows our educators to be as to be more innovative without paying a penalty.
0: Yeah. Well, that's well said and I think that's a great end cap to our, our discussion. And uh, I think a more positive and optimistic tone, perhaps than, we, sure. than we've, we've been talking about for the last nine months. For uh, sure. for so, sure. so Dr. Ahar, thank you so much for taking time out of your super busy day. And, and I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me on Pandemic Pass. And uh, I'd love to get you on the show for Ed's Not Dead at some point with uh, Robbie and Peter. And uh, we hope you and your family are doing well. And, and I, I want to thank you personally, for just your leadership during this crazy time, like being a school leader in, in a district, uh, any district really is challenging. And, and uh, so, so I appreciate the work that you're doing and, and navigating this for us.
1: I look forward to our next conversations. Yeah. Thanks.
0: Thanks. Thanks a lot and have a great day. Yep. Be well. Thank you for joining us on Pandemic Pass. Pandemic Pass is a pulp education production and was written and directed by me, Casey Siddons. Music was written and performed by Peter Krayle. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps others find us.